Today I'm starting a new series, and I'm calling it In Christ. It's the book of Ephesians. We're going to be going through it. And I decided to call it In Christ because that's really what it's all about. But in the book of Ephesians, that term is used 31 different times. So it must be important. What does it mean to be in Christ? That's what we're going to take a look at in these next several weeks. And today as we look at chapter 1, I, I couldn't think of anything better to call this than, than this title, You Are Amazingly Blessed. Do you know how blessed you are? Most of us aren't catching hold of that, if we're honest. Let's look at what the Word says, Ephesians 1, 3. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Let's stop and think of that. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Do we realize how cool this is and what we have a hold of? Or are we walking like we don't have all these wonderful riches in Christ? Years ago, I went on sabbatical with my family and a real estate person said, hey, I've got a place for you to stay in Hawaii. So we, we were excited that we had a home there to, to be in for a week, and we showed up in a gated community, went to the house, and we couldn't believe it. We had to double-check the address. It was just huge and beautiful, brand new, had to be worth millions of dollars. We walked in, and there's the cherry wood and all this furniture and big screen TVs in every room, and there's a 30-foot glass wall that opened to the private pool that had lights and fountains that shot over it, and it was extravagant. And um, we stayed in there for about two hours. It was just kind of unbelievable. We thought, you know, we, we can't believe we get to stay here. And my son, who was a teenager at the time, came in a couple hours after being there and said, Dad, this is cool, but I feel like at any moment someone's going to show up and say, I'm sorry, you're not supposed to be here. You have to leave right now. And I think that's the way we feel as Christians sometimes. We've been blessed so much, but we're afraid it's not really true and it's not really ours and we can't really have this because it's just too good to be true. Do you truly understand as a child of God how blessed you are? Let's pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would bring revelation to our hearts today. Father, I believe that there are people who've been Christians for decades, who've been followers of Christ, that their lives could be changed if they get this. That your joy, Lord, would never leave us if we understand the inheritance we have in you. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring revelation to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. So here are three incredible blessings that you have been given if you're a believer in Christ that I want to share with you today that come right out of God's word. The first is this, God has chosen to adopt you. Ephesians 1.4 says this, Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us. You know, when I'm reading this scripture, I like to insert, because it's spoken generally, but it's certainly specifically for me, I like to put my name in there sometimes. And I like if you did that too, that he chose Stan, that he chose you. God chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt you, us, into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God chose to bring you into his family, and it gave him great pleasure. He knows you. He loves you. When we look at this word adopt, for our culture, it means that there's someone outside the family that we bring in, and we tell them, you are now part of the family. But in this culture in the New Testament, 
That's not how adoption worked. That's not what it meant. Adoption had to do with your very own children. That when they reached adulthood, you stood them up publicly and said, we, I give you complete inheritance. That's what the father would say. And by the way, not every child would get that adoption and complete inheritance in families in those days. But, but the dad would stand them up and say, you have everything I have, it will be, and it is yours. And it's amazing to think that God has done that for us. We're in his family, and I, I like the cool thought that we weren't outside the family. He brought us in. You know, the, 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 the Bible says that the Jewish people are the chosen people of God, and that's absolutely true. But we weren't outside. We're inside. And God says to us as well, you are mine, and you have full inheritance. And he said that to every believer. No one who believes in Christ is left out. You have been adopted by the Father. Do you realize that you are that special to someone. Even if you've never felt special to your mom and dad, you're extremely special in the eyes of God. In this culture, that needs to be said. Because often there are people who haven't had a great example of God the Father from their own father. Perhaps maybe even mom and dad weren't there for them or, or talked them down, but you need to know how God feels about you. You're extremely special to him. See it in 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us. For He calls us His children, and that is what we are. I really like the way Max Lucado said it in one of his books. He said this, God is crazy about you. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If He had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Whenever you would talk, He would listen. And you might go days without thinking of Him but there'd never be a moment where he would not be thinking of you. Ephesians 1 says, Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we've received an inheritance. You have inherited all that God has, his love, his power, his resources, both now and forevermore. It says that he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. He has a plan for your life. He's adopted you, and he has a plan specifically for your life. And he makes everything work out as we follow him with our lives. But do we, do we take advantage of this adoption? Do we, do we realize it in our hearts and walk into this? And Because I'm telling you, the joy would never go away if we get this. This sermon that I'm speaking about today, no circumstances, no matter how difficult they are and hard things will come our way, nothing could dislodge this joy from our heart if we get this in our spirits that we're His, that He loves us, that He's for us, that He has a good plan. But we have to realize it or it might go by us and the joy may never come into our hearts. We have to appropriate it and take hold of it. We have to call it as it is. Have you ever heard the story of Hetty Green? She died in 1916, and she was known as America's greatest miser. She had over $100 million in her estate. Now, that was in 1916, so that'd be like a billionaire today, right? If you, if you translate uh, uh, the cost of living from then to now, she ate cold oatmeal cereal, even though she was that rich, because she didn't want to pay to heat it. Her son had to suffer... Uh, a leg amputation because she delayed so long looking for a free medical clinic. She was wealthy, yet she chose to live like a pauper. 
She hastened her own death by refusing to buy skim milk because it cost more than regular milk. She was known as eccentric and crazy. And maybe she was. Because she never used the resources that were available to her. That were hers. I think Hetty Green's an illustration for far too many Christian believers today. Because you and I have limitless spiritual wealth at our disposal, yet we live like paupers. We don't understand that we're his child, that everything he has is ours. Then I read about another guy who decided to take hold of his inheritance. He was from Montana. True story. A rich nobleman in in Great Britain died leaving his estate, but he didn't have any children. So it would go to the next relative or the nearest kin. The man they found was way out west in Montana living in poverty. That was the next of kin, and he was just eking out a struggling existence when they found him, and they gave him the the news that this estate was his. He had no idea. What did he do when he found out? He didn't do like Hetty Green. He didn't say, well, it's a good thing to know that I have it to fall back on. I'll just keep it there until I need it someday. No, he went downtown, and on the strength of that good news, he bought a ticket to London, and he bought a really nice suit. And when the reporter asked him, where are you going? He said this, to take possession of my estate. Which one are we? Are we Hetty Green or are we this fellow from Montana? Are we going to say, no, I don't really have anything at my disposal to use. I'm not going to take advantage of that. Or are we going to say like this fellow from Montana, I'm going to walk into what God's given me. His inheritance is yours and it's mine. It's his power. It's his love. It's his strength. It's this wholeness that comes to life. It's, this richness is not about money. It's about way more than that. It's about wholeness. And it's about this peace that we have eternal life with Christ. It's all ours, and the joy of that can never be taken. How can a martyr, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, you see it over and over again that they're burned at the stake, that they're killed. Today we see that they're, that, did you know there are 500 people a day being martyred for Jesus Christ today? in this world and there are people who will not deny Christ and with joy in their hearts they'll call his name just before they die how in the world can you have joy in those moments it's because you know that death has no sting you know your inheritance you've walked in it here and you're going to walk in it there forevermore this peace and this joy is ours we are his children Ephesians 1:18 says I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You have been adopted. You are his child. He calls you his own, and everything he has is now available to you. Second point today, another blessing that he's given us that you don't want to miss in your life. God has given you his glorious grace. That comes right from this passage. So we praise God, verse 6, For the glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness. Let me stop there for a moment. It says there, he's so rich in kindness and grace. Is that your view of God, the Father? Do you see him as rich in kindness and grace? Or do you see him as stern with you? Demanding, wanting you to get it just right or else. Well, if you see him that way, you've got it wrong. Because this is the way he is. He's full of kindness and grace towards you. 
You have His glorious grace. For a while, when I first came to Jesus, I didn't live right before coming to Jesus. Like all of you, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And He was calling me into the ministry. I felt it early on, and I kept arguing with Him, saying, don't you remember what I did? I'm not your guy. There's, there's better people out there who haven't messed up like me. And every time I would go to him, it took me a while to hear him echoing back, don't you remember? He'd say, no, I don't remember because I've cast your sin into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up against you again. You know, God has an ability you don't have. He can forget something he wants to forget. He can say, I choose to remember that no more. It's not counted against you. I have that glorious grace. It's a wonderful inheritance. You have that glorious grace. It's yours. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. The Bible says this, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that the wages of sin are death. That's absolutely true. But this is what's so amazing about grace. Though we don't deserve it, he offers us this free gift to be forgiven and never have it counted against us. So this doesn't make sense to a lot of people. They don't get this whole gospel thing, but let me see if I can put it in a nutshell for you. God, our creator, in the garden created Adam and Eve. They had everything perfect with fellowship with him. Only one thing he asked them not to do, and that's to eat the fruit. From, from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. But they sinned against him and they did that. And as a result, God is so altogether holy, he cannot cohabitate with sin. That's hard to understand. And God is also just, uh, so just that he must punish sin. You say, I don't understand this justice that you speak of for God. Well, think of it this way. In, a, in, this, in our system of the courts and the law, perhaps You've heard of a serial killer or a serial rapist who's gone before the court, and I have a question for you. When they're absolutely guilty, do you think it necessary for justice to be served in that situation? Absolutely you do. You get that. Well, God's completely just and holy as well as forgiving and full of grace. And so his justice must be meted out. And because God loved you and I so much, he didn't want to the punishment of our sin to fall on us, so he let it fall. His plan was to punish sin by letting the sins of the world fall on his own son's back on the cross. And when the nails were driven in Jesus' hands and his feet, the nails were because of my sin and because of your sin. Sin was being punished. All the sin before and all the sin after the cross was taken care of right there. If, and there's this one, one big if, if you receive the grace offered through Jesus Christ on that cross, your sins are forgiven. But you have to come to the cross. You have to say, I realize that Jesus, you took my sin. You were the ransom. You were the payment. And I want the grace that's offered. What is grace? It's this unmerited favor. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. This Greek word, grace, the Greek word is charis, and it means favor, gift, blessing. So it's God's favor coming to you. That's what grace is. It's his free gift to you. It's a blessing that he would give you. 
It's not just for salvation, however. It's for every sin you commit after you become a Christian as well. I don't know if you've heard this story, but I love this story. A true story, a historical account. The case of a woman who attempted to assassinate the Queen of England, Elizabeth I. It's a great, great story about grace. This woman was dressed as a page and she hid herself in the Queen's boudoir awaiting the convenient moment to stab the queen to death, not realizing that the queen's attendants would be very careful to search each room before she retired to bed each night. And hidden there among the gowns, they found this woman and they brought her out into the presence of the queen. They took the dagger from her hand and they, they threw her before the queen and on her knees, she realized how humanly speaking, how hopeless her case was. And she begged the queen to have compassion and ask her to show her grace. And Queen Elizabeth I looked at her quietly and coolly and said this, If I show you grace, what promise will you make for the future? The woman looked up and said, Grace that hath conditions, grace that is feathered, or rather fettered by precautions, is no grace at all. And amazingly, the Queen of England, Elizabeth, understood immediately and she said this, you are right, I pardon you by my grace. And they led that woman away as a free woman and history tells us that from that moment on, Queen Elizabeth had no more faithful, devoted servant than that woman who had intended to take her life. This is what the Bible says, that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Repentance isn't just saying, oh, I was wrong, forgive me for that. That's not repentance. Repentance is saying, I'm sorry, realizing it, changing your mind when you're going the wrong direction in sin and going the right way. That's what repentance is, turning around and going the right direction. Not enough talk about repentance in our society for Christians, actually, because we're hurting one another and, and, and people are departing from Christ with, these, uh, with, with, with that mentality. But repentance, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Think of that in terms of grace now. That grace was so amazing that that queen offered to that woman that she decided she would be a loyal follower and devoted to her from then on. And I think that's the way it is with the grace of God. I don't think it causes us to sin more when we realize the grace of God and how wonderful it is, how much he's forgiven us of, how he'll help us and bless us as we go forward still, he cares about us. We say, I don't want to do that anymore. That's, that's no good. I'm hurting him, and he's, all he's doing is blessing me. I'm hurting myself. I'm going to follow you. Your grace is amazing. You've forgiven me. Your kindness leads me to repentance, and I'm going the other direction. Sometimes we see God as just this big, mean old man up there. That's not who he is. This week when I was in Nashville, I got to visit with my, my nephew and niece, and they have the cutest little guy. He's not quite too... And his name is Audio. Isn't that a cool name? Got to be a musician with that name. He's, got, he's just got to go there as he grows up. But, he, but he's so cute. He's got more pictures on Facebook than any child in the history of the world. And I'm always checking in to see, you know, the stuff he's doing. And, 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 um, but I got to be with him and hold him. And we were having fun playing with him this week. And, and as he was running around, he put himself in a situation. He got into a spot that he couldn't get out of. What do you think his dad did? Do you think his dad walked over and said, listen, young man, you got yourself in this mess. You can get yourself out. I will see you later. 
No, he walked over, picked him up, and he put him in a right place on solid ground. And that's the way God is. When we make mistakes, he's still there for us. I'm talking to believers now. When we sin and we make mistakes, the grace of God, the glorious grace of God is there for us. What he wants to do is pick us up with love and set us over here and say, this is a better way. My nephew doesn't say to that little guy falling over and over again as he's learning to walk, what are you doing? You should be walking better. Come on, you're my son. You should be doing this at a faster pace. No, only a bad dad would say that. He, he, lets, he falls and he gets up, and he falls and he gets up, and then he learns to walk better and better as he goes. And honestly, that's the way it works with believers. I've tried to be perfect, and I can't do it. The Bible says to strive for it, and I need this grace of God. You need this grace of God applied to your life. Stop being so hard on yourself. Realize this glorious grace is yours. It will take you into a new realm of doing things better than you've ever done them before. Ephesians 2.3 says, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very na- by our very nature, we're subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, and it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. The glorious grace of God is ours. Third thought today, God has showered you. Now, this is a blessing that's yours. He showered you with wisdom and understanding. I want to say, and this is my own percentage, I made this up, right? You, you know that, that 70% of statistics are made up on the spot. You, you know that, okay? So, so, and this is one I made up. But, but I'm, I'm around it, I'm close. 95% of the wisdom you need in life, the things you need to know, are in the Bible for you. If you're just walking around praying and you're not reading the Word, you're not going to be where you need to be in this walk with Jesus. You're you're not going to be able to recognize his voice as well. You're not going to be able to know the boundaries and the blessings. Here's what it says in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate therein both day and night that you may observe to do carefully everything written therein. Check that out. We're supposed to read it to do carefully everything that's written in there so that you would be blessed and prosperous. What? So getting into this word blesses our lives and those around us. And, and we have to be in it. I, I love it that you're here. I love it that you love the word and, 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 and you're partaking of the word even as I share the word right now. But I want you to eat more than once a week because people who eat once a week aren't that healthy. And God says he'd like us to eat every day out of his word, the bread of life. It's there. And, and, and so there's where wisdom is and he's given us that as a gift, wisdom and understanding. Look at Ephesians 1.8. He's showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Now here's the base for you for all wisdom. If you start here with this foundation, if you don't start with this foundation, you will never come to the true reality of wisdom. Here's the foundation. The ultimate understanding of this wisdom is that God is the creator of the universe. He's the redeemer of our souls through his son, Jesus Christ. And that eventually, everything will be united under Christ on this earth and in heaven one day where he will have all authority. 
That's the foundation of wisdom. If you don't start there, your life may not go the right direction because you're not thinking about the right end. You have to know the destination to know where you go on the journey and how, how, how to get there. And that's where wisdom begins. And with that in mind, and applying wisdom to our own personal lives, here's some questions. Our question should be, what's my part in God's grand design? What's this mean for me? What gifts has he given me? And where's the best place for these gifts to be used for his glory? Essentially, you could boil it down to this. It's on the screen for you. What is God's grand design for this world, and what is my part in it? That will lead you to fulfillment in life. It'll lead you to the most rewarding life possible. If you start there saying, Lord, give me wisdom and understanding about these things. No one knows you better than your creator. Because after all, he created you. He designed you. You're uniquely made. I find it fascinating that there are uh, six and a half billion people on this earth and I don't know how many billions before. And no one has ever been the same. No one's looked the same, thought the same, had the same gift mix. My wife's an identical twin, and there's similarities in their personalities, but they're just two different people. That's fascinating that God could do that. And he knows exactly who you are. He knows what he made, made you to be. He's got a, a design for your life with the gifts that he's given you. And so if you want wisdom concerning life and how it all works for you, go ask the grand designer what he has in mind for you. And I believe we should ask him for the day. I believe we should ask him for the coming months, the coming years, and the coming seasons. I think one of the mistakes we make is to believe that we've grooved it here and this is what it's going to be forever. No. No, he has, he has different seasons for your life. There'll come a winter, sometimes it's a ministry, and it'll close down, and it'll get frosty, and then it'll get dark, and then there'll be some sadness in that darkness, because there'll come, come a winter and seasons for, every, for, for everyone's life around certain things, but after the winter, the spring always comes, and, this, and the season of spring is something new and fresh that God's about to do with you. Listen, someone's sitting here today thinking, I don't know what the future holds. It hasn't worked out like I want. Maybe you've been in your winter, but spring is right around the corner. Ask the grand designer, what's it look like? Where's, where are my feet supposed to be? Because you may not know how to get there. You don't have to. You just follow him step by step, and he'll put you in the right place. Isn't that amazing to know that he gives us the wisdom and understanding even concerning these things? Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I asked Pastor Brad, who's at our Sherwood campus, preaching the same message today. We're doing, you know, he's taking it and making it his and maybe adding a couple different stories, but we're, we're doing these things together on these campuses. But I wanted to tell Brad's story today, because as he told it to me, uh, it, it, it's a great blessing. Brad used to be an alcoholic before he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He came to a moment in his life where he felt God say to him, you don't have to drink this ever again, and he didn't. And he's messed up quite a bit, just like me in his life. And I asked him to write down part of his story for us today as we talk about God's grand design for our lives and wisdom and understanding concerning these things that he would want for our lives. 
Brad says, I graduated second in my class at Lake Ridge High School, second from the bottom, that is, with a 1.2 GPA. I didn't even know it was possible to graduate with a 1.2 GPA, but Brad did it. That's miraculous right there. He said, when I walked at commencement with the class, my English teacher gave me a card with $20 in it. It had a piece of thread taped on the inside of the card, and he wrote, this is the thread on which your diploma has been hanging these past four years. Now it belongs to you. Brad said, I'll never forget Mr. Wint. He kept me in school. God bless teachers. God bless you. You're amazing. Brad said, 11 years later, I accepted Jesus. And up to that point, I'd worked hard, but I hated reading anything other than the sports page, the weather, and Sports Illustrated. But the moment I came to Jesus, I started to read the Bible, and I couldn't get enough of it, he says. I read Christian books by Philip Yancey, Chuck Swindoll, C.S. Lewis, anything and everything they wrote. Almost 20 years later, I began college at Trinity Bible College in Chicago. He said, I knew I had to pay for, for myself, so I wanted to get the best deal, and I signed up for 18 semester credit hours for the first semester. Well, the advisors took a look at my records and decided that, that the 1.2 GPA was not going to work for 18 hours, so they said I could only do 15, and they were going to start him on probation at that. Honestly, he said, I was a bit worried that I didn't have the smarts to do it, but I knew I could try to work harder. Kind of a brawn over brain mentality, he said. Well, that first semester, I went on to get a 4.0, and I graduated in four years of school in two and a half years, summa cum laude, with a 3.95 GPA. It's quite a turnaround, isn't it? He said, I started my MDiv, and that's Masters of Divinity. After that, uh, a program that's a graduate school, and I was completing the undergrad and ended up completing cum laude with around a 3.6 or so GPA. He says, only by God's grace and wisdom and understanding he gave me was I able to complete the seven standard years of school in four and a half years and get those grades. You know, sometimes we're where we're at because we're just not engaged. We don't even know the ability that he's put in us because someone made us think we can't do it. Maybe you mess with drugs and alcohol and it stole some years away. I love that passage in the Bible where it says God can restore what the locusts have eaten. Whatever the thing is that's messed your life up, God can just bring his miracles and make something beautiful as you turn your heart towards him. And he did it with Pastor Brad. Now, Brad said he was hanging around with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, not going to school much. That was the problem. As I look back, he says, I know the Holy Spirit empowered me to read the Word of God. He infused me with an insatiable desire, Brad says, to learn more and more about Him. It is nothing short of miraculous. A truly ignorant rebel like me, he took me from hanging by a thread to gripping tightly to an unbreakable rope. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Wow. He's the Redeemer of our lives. And when we lay our life in his and say, you give me the wisdom and understanding, you show me the direction and I'll follow, Brad never thought that he could be good 
in the realm of academics that he could become a minister never crossed his mind and God showed him that. Now that's probably not what God's called you to, to be a, a pastor at a church, but he is calling you to something beautiful. And you are a genius in something, I'm telling you. Because God's thumbprint is on you. His fingerprints are all over you. He created you. He doesn't make any junk. He just doesn't. So let's take our lives. And let's put them in his hands and say, okay, I, I, I've been doing it my way. You show me your way. What's your plan for my life? And I will yield to it.